Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco's Sunday Morning Worship Service Podcast. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, Weekly Flame, and much, much more. It's good to be with you this morning out in your various places, watching on Zoom from home and the couch, uh, office, wherever you may be. And I want to thank Vanessa for inviting me to come and be part of your worship service this morning on this Sunday, just before the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. April is chock full of commemorations. And given the current pandemic, I'm seeing some of them with some new eyes. Earlier in the month, we honored and remembered Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who was assassinated at a time when he was standing up for who we would see now as essential workers, people who were collecting garbage and needed a stronger labor agreement. And I understand that even in the midst of this pandemic, that here in San Francisco, yesterday, there were folks up at 5.12 in the morning to remember the 1906 earthquake and pay their respects to some other essential workers, to firefighters, who in 1906 used the only surviving fire hydrant to save the Mission District from the Great Fire, which decimated much of the rest of the city. Now, in 1906, my grandfather, who was a native of San Francisco, was 20 years old. He was a student at the University of California in Berkeley. And as family lore has it, I don't actually know if this is true, but they say that he was such a sound sleeper that despite the fact that the earthquake shook the land all the way up to Oregon and down south of Los Angeles and all the way out to Nevada, he actually slept right through it. My other grandfather, who was a few years older, I know less about his sleeping habits, but I do know that he saw an opportunity amidst the destruction and decided to start a small business rebuilding chimneys. A crisis may come on suddenly, the jolt of an earthquake, the devastation of a fire, or the rapid onset of a pandemic, or it may be slower and less noticeable. What we see now in climate change, the rise of temperatures, the loss of species, increasing drought and desertification. But whether sudden or slow, there's no doubt that even with all our human ingenuity, we are a part of and humbled by the power 
and time scale of the creation that has allowed us to be present here on our blue boat home, the Earth. In 1970, we had seen already photos from space of the Earth rise from the lunar landing. Rachel Carson had alerted us to the threat of pollution in Silent Spring. And Earth Day teach-ins and movement building went on to build public pressure for historic legislation to protect our air and water. And President Nixon went on to establish the Environmental Protection Agency. I remember walking to and from high school on that first Earth Day in 1970. It was about a mile and a half, mostly on the main road through town. And I remember picking up trash along the way, feeling the sense of Earth's injury, and not exactly knowing how to help. One of my chores growing up was to bundle newspapers for recycling. They were stacked about a foot thick, and I'd take the twine and tie them up like a Christmas package with a string wrapped around both ways and tied off on a bowlin knot. I could still tie a bowlin without looking. This allowed us to grab the stacks of newspapers, put them in the car, drive them to the back of the high school parking lot, and heave them into the air to fall back into the assigned big blue dumpster as part of the regular paper drive. Habits get formed in such a manner. Recycling became normal at a young age. Fifty years later, I know it's a lot more, I know that what it's about is a lot more than trash and recycling, although personal practices are important and do bring a spiritual consciousness to the work. Now I also understand that it's about systems and power that are layered on a foundation of racism, colonial settlerism, and profound economic inequality. Over the years since 1970, I and we have begun to understand health as connected to soil and air and water and community. To quote Wendell Berry, I believe that the community, in the fullest sense, a place and all its creatures, is the smallest unit of health. And to speak of the health of isolated individuals is a contradiction in terms. Something to consider as we find ourselves in this moment of pandemic. Fifty years later, we also find ourselves in a watershed moment when human impact on the planet will shape the course of life on Earth for thousands of years to come. Young leaders, indigenous tribes, scientists are all joining voices from across the globe demanding that we wake up, double down, and respond more quickly to the climate crisis. The climate activist and author Bill McKibben writes that climate change is a timed test and the 2020s will be our exam. This is neither a test of individual purity nor an exam we can pass alone. 
In this time of trauma and responsibility, what are we learning and how can our faith and our community help us to answer such an existential call? It is a strange thing to find yourself living at a time when the lives of generations to come depend in large measure on what happens in this next decade and the decade to follow. If you are wanting your life to make a difference not only in the short term, but in geologic time, this inflection point in history is quite a moment to be called into life. And for the folks that I'm working with at Star King School for the Ministry, into religious leadership. But calling is a funny thing. Sometimes it feels like an invitation, sometimes an inconvenience, sometimes an imposition. And as Arundhati Roy says, we live in a time now that we can think of as a portal, leaving one era and entering another. When I was serving in our congregation in San Jose, in mid-October, I came home to get a, an answering machine call that said that the church was burning. We drove down immediately to see what was happening, to see what we could do, and sure enough, it was a massive, massive fire. A fire that burned so much of the church that it took us six years to do all of the fundraising and rebuilding to get back in. Sometimes a calling comes out of the blue and you feel unprepared to deal with the steps that need be taken to make your way through. At Star King, one of the classes I help to teach is called Ministry in Times of Disaster. And we teach our students about the life cycle of a disaster that starts with the moment of impact, has moments of heroic connection and community, almost, almost an exuberance and honeymoon in the way that people come together and do beautiful things for one another. We see that now in the time that we are currently in. But after a while, it starts to go downhill in disillusionment and frustration and desire to be made whole and an understanding that things are gonna take so much longer than you had ever thought possible. And that disillusionment can be even more difficult than the moment of impact. And then we shift to a long, slow rebuilding, a rebuilding with dips at anniversary times, at times when people have to deal at a deeper level with the grief of the loss, but a rebuilding nonetheless. The question is in the rebuilding, what are we rebuilding to? And who are we rebuilding for? And what are the values that will guide us in that process? To think of a calling and a portal does bring to mind, of course, the classic calling of Moses, out minding his own flocks and his own business when God calls out of the burning bush and charges him to lead his people out of Egypt. 
Though respectful, he was quick to point out his own inadequacies, suggesting that the heavenly nominating committee call on someone else with leadership skills more suited to serve and succeed in that pivotal moment of portal. While God did not lift Moses off the hook, he did suggest that a leadership team be formed and the more eloquent Aaron take on the communications portfolio. We are not meant to do this work alone. I remember overhearing a caller to a radio show who asked the presenter what they could do as one individual to make a difference in the global climate crisis. I loved the respondent's blunt answer. The most important thing you can do is to stop being an individual. Systems change when you join and work with others. Systems change when you join and work from others. We learn so much from the lessons of Earth and the lessons of crisis. But crisis is, in its own way, a fulcrum for change. Naomi Klein, author and activist, has been quoting a lot from Milton Friedman lately, saying, only a crisis, actual or perceived, produces real change. When that crisis occurs, the actions that are taken depend on the ideas that are lying around. That, I believe, is our basic function, to develop alternatives to existing policies, to keep them alive and available until the politically impossible becomes the politically inevitable. Naomi goes on to say, in times of crisis, seemingly impossible ideas suddenly become possible. But whose ideas? Sensible, fair ones designed to keep as many people as safe, secure, and healthy as possible? Or predatory ideas designed to further enrich the already unimaginably wealthy while leaving the most vulnerable further exposed? The world economy is seizing up in the face of cascading shocks. One of the things that was most heartening to me as I began to do more research on ministry in times of disaster was to stumble across the Justice for, excuse me, the Alliance for a Just Recovery. This was a, a gathering and an organizing in Santa Rosa County, or Sonoma County in Santa Rosa, the town, following the horrible fires of recent years. Instead of just waiting for things to be rebuilt back to quote-unquote normal, or even quote-unquote better, but still with the same frame of mind, organizers were creating an undocu-fund, organizers were bringing affordable housing, organizers were working on health care, Organizers were working on environmental and green space issues, looking at how they could rebuild in a way that built up those who were at the margins and helped to solve economic inequality, while also rebuilding in such a way as to reduce the climate footprint and carbon footprint that normal has been too, too quick to do. We are in a similar time where there are alliances moving toward a just recovery, 
The folks in Santa Rosa had been counseled and learned from people that had recovered from Hurricane Sandy and the Occupy Sandy movement. They in turn had been counseled and encouraged by those who learned lessons from Hurricane Katrina, who in turn had been counseled and assisted by those who learned lessons from the rebuilding after 9-11. Here we are now in a pandemic that is global, a pandemic that invites us to rebuild our economy in a way that helps us to address the crisis of climate that is coming down the pike and in many places is already here. We know already that when times demand it, massive amounts of funding can be made available. As we seek to rebuild together, we need to rebuild in such a fashion that we are rebuilding for the centuries to come, not what is past. When I look at the difference between where I was in 1970, trying to understand a personal commitment to recycling, to picking up litter, and where I am now at trying to help shift systems that will allow us to bring things to scale, I do believe that the concrete and the personal and the local is still hugely important. And I'm so honored to be part of a process that's being led by members of your congregation who are creating a strategy to allow our congregations to decarbonize their facilities. We understand that somewhere between 30 and 40% of greenhouse gases are coming out of buildings. The energy that we use in buildings, the natural gas, the lack of appropriate efficiencies in place. But for many folks in our congregations, while we might have high ideals, we stumble along the financing. And so this project, with funding from the Hinckley Fund and from the UU Funding Program, has been able to begin the process of consulting with experts in the field of clean energy finance to be able to see where our congregations are stumbling and how we might find ways to prioritize being able to live out the principles that we espouse. Life charts its own course and not always according to plan. Birth and death, opportunity and disaster, we begin in one storyline and then unexpectedly life gives us another. How then do we choose to live? What do we have to give? As we find ourselves in an unfamiliar story, let us not shrink from the task. Let us give ourselves to this moment, open to a new understanding, open to a calling to community, open to that which is greater than ourselves and that which invites us to lead with love. May it be so, and amen.
Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco's Sunday Morning Worship Service Podcast. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, Weekly Flame, and much, much more.